You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. This is Rico Muhammad coming to you live. And tonight, we have our special esteemed guest, Mr. Hank Seaton, standing by waiting to take all of your legal questions, answer any kind of contract law issues that you may have, transportation law issues that you may have. So if you got anything on your mind that you know that you got a question about right away, you can go ahead and press number one. We'll get you up and on board, get you screened in. And uh, when we bring Hank on, you'll be one of the very first ones in line to uh, interact with with Mr. Seaton. So you can go ahead and take care of that business right now. And as we normally always do here on Rates and Lanes, we're going to start off with the USDA Fruit and Vegetable Report for this week. And this week we have only one particular area on this report that is showing a slight shortage, where it's actually showing an outright shortage of trucks, and that's in southwest Indiana, southeast Illinois. Uh, they are experiencing a little bit of a shortage of trucks in that area. I think those melons are still kind of moving off from up there in those areas right there, so it's kind of creating a little bit of a a little bit of a gap for those to truck ratios in that particular market. To be, if you have a Bennett van, reefer trailer probably a pretty good, decent place and get some pretty decent rates right now, moving what's left of uh, the melons coming out, of, coming out of those areas right there. Everywhere else in the country seems to be showing either an adequate supply or surpluses or outright slight surpluses. So the areas that are showing the uh, slight surpluses, areas that you may want to avoid, South and Central California showing the slight surplus. Columbia Basin, Washington, showing the slight surplus in Yakima Valley. Winchie District, Washington, is also showing that slight surplus. The uh, other areas that are outright showing outright surpluses in those areas is Texas, Mexico crossing through Texas, southern New Mexico, big late central Minnesota, south district California, and Mexico crossing through Nogales, Arizona. They are showing that they are inundated right now with trucks in those particular areas. If you would like for your viewing pleasure, there is a link to this report up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. You can go there, click on that, read information that is available on this report. And as I always try to remind people, I have to be conscious when I'm telling you to go check out this report because there's a lot of stuff on here that we do not get an opportunity to really go into. Uh, We try to use this report as a good indicator of where is a pretty decent place if you have the type of transportation to transport the uh, fruits and vegetables that they are discussing in this particular report. It gives you an indication of where you might want to position your truck if you're out there working the spot market. Uh, As far as the rate information that is available on this report, you have to be very careful about the rate information that you see on this report because more than likely those rates are super inflated. Uh, I, I've had an opportunity to speak with a couple of people over at USDA just trying to pick their brain on how they uh, derive that information. And, and it's, there's no really way uh, that they have a, 
of vetting that information that they they're actually printing. And so there's no really good way of they don't have a proper vetting system. Like some of the um rate indexes and stuff that the low boards offer, they at least have some type of way of actually getting uh, actual uh, freight invoices, having copies of actual freight invoices, uh, cop- copies of actual uh, uh, factored deals. So there's some type of way to vet the information that, they're, that they are actually publishing. But the information on this USDA report does not have that type of uh, vetting system behind it. So be very careful on trying to use that as a barometer as far as rates are concerned when you're using you're looking at the USDA uh, rate report. But it also gives you an indication, as we and Chuck Snow have always talked about, if you had that type of, uh, of, of mode of transportation as well, for you to start trying to look at the different types of seasonality of fruits and vegetables that are coming out of particular markets as well, and you can start to try to look to see if there are relationships that you might be able to begin to cultivate and develop with different people in those areas. If that's an area that you're looking at, that you're interested in uh, consistently running, building a lane, then those uh, people, those particular sheds and everything may be a little bit easier to crack the nut to get into those places because when you're dealing with more of an agricultural base, there's there's a little bit less red tape to go through um, than when you're dealing with uh, US, the, the United States uh, corporate America uh, structure. You know, when you're dealing with the corporate 500, you know, the uh, corporate 500 companies, it, there's a lot of red tape sometimes to get through to the right decision maker and stuff. And sometimes with a lot of these produce sheds and stuff like that, the guy walking around in the overalls, that's, that may be the guy that you might need to talk to. So, you know, go in and develop a friend. And you might be able to come out of there and, and, and you can develop the, um, deliver consistent um, capacity for those people in those areas. And if they have consistent um, year-round freight for those areas, then you might be able to make a match. So there's, that USDA report is a valuable resource, and that's why we try to go over it a little bit here on the Race and Lanes podcast. So like I said, there's a copy of that up on the Facebook page for your pleasure. And with that said, we're going to move right along and jump in over into the DAT trend lines report for this particular week. And van rates have dropped by 3% from August 17th through the 13th. Spot market demand has dipped 6% last week, accompanied by a $0.03 decline in the national average van rate. It's now lower than the June average for the first time in six weeks, a transition that typically occurs in the first week of July. Reefer rates also fell by three cents, and the national average flatbed rate edged down by one cent on a on a declining fuel surcharge. So let's jump into it. Let's go in a little bit more depth. Let's look at the U.S. van demand and capacity version of this report for the week of August seventh through the thirteenth. Van load postings have declined by four percent last week. The truck postings increased by 3% to yield a 7% drop in the load-to-truck ratio from 2.7 down to 2.5 loads per truck. The national average van rate has fallen by $0.03 compared to the previous week. The national average price of diesel also edged down by 0.4%. The national average is at $2.31 per gallon for diesel. 
Let's jump in and look at the U.S. fan rates for the previous week, see how we perform throughout the country. The national average van rate fell three cents last week down to a dollar sixty one cents per mile, which included a one cents decline in the average fuel surcharge. Outbound rates increased in the Seattle and Allentown PA markets, but fell in Chicago and Atlanta. Taking a look around the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, we have Philadelphia, Pennsylvania checking in showing average rates of $1.60 per mile for dry vans on the spot market. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in, showing average rates of $1.84 per mile on the spot market for dry vans. Moving up into the midwestern portion of the United States, Chicago, Illinois checks in, showing average rates at $1.93 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, Dallas, Texas is the representative city, showing average rates at $1.54 per mile. Jumping out west to the west coast, City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, setting the benchmark at $2.07 per mile on average for the spot market for dry vans. Moving on over into the U.S. flatbed demand and capacity report for the week of August 7th through the 13th. Flatbed load postings declined by 11% last week, while truck postings increased by 4%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to fall by 14%, dropping down from 12 point, dropping down at the average last week was 12.8 loads per truck, down to 11 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate dipped one cents per mile week over week. Let's jump around and see how the rates were performing around the country for flatbeds on the spot market. Let's see here. A one cent drop in the average fuel surcharge last week caused the national average flatbed rate to drop by one cent, down to an average of a dollar ninety-two percent, a dollar ninety-two cents per mile nationally. Starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, setting the high water mark, Harrisburg, PA checks in, showing average rates for the uh, flatbeds at $2.82 on the spot market. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in, showing an average rate of $2.13 per mile on the spot market. Moving into the midwestern portion of the United States, Rock Island, Illinois, checks in, showing average rates $2.14 per mile. Down into the south-central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas, checks in, showing average rates for flatbeds $2.06 per mile. Moving out west, bringing up the rear this time, Phoenix, Arizona, shows the average rate for flatbeds at $1.73 per mile. And moving on over into the reefer, demand and capacity report for the week of August 7th through the 13th. Reefer load postings edged down 3% last week while truck load postings added 3%. That resulted in a 6% decline in the load-to-truck ratio from 5.3 down to 5.0 loads per truck. The national average spot market rate for reefers was down 3 cents week over week. 
jumping on over into the reefer rates. The national average reefer rate slipped by three cents last week, down to a dollar ninety-three cents per mile. Reefer prices rose in major markets in the Midwest, but were lower in the northeastern markets. Speaking of which, Elizabeth, New Jersey, the uh, northeastern market representative city, showing an average rate of a dollar sixty-nine cents per mile for reefers coming out of that portion of the United States. Dropping down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida, showing spot market rates for reefers at $1.19 per mile. Moving into the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin, setting, keeping its throne as the uh, leader for the spot market for reefers. $2.51 per mile is the average rate on the spot market coming out of the Midwest. Dropping down into McAllen, Texas, we have the south central portion of the United States showing average rates at $1.70 per mile on the spot market. And moving out west, Fresno, California, we have average spot market rates at $1.96 per mile. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this week's DAT Trendlines report. Also, ladies and gentlemen, on if you go right now over to the Rates and Lanes Facebook page, I posted up a uh, PDF copy of Henry Seaton's Deadly Dozen, uh, Avoiding the Deadly Dozen and Freight Contracts. The PDF copy of it up over there that we got from uh, Mr. Seaton's website, you guys can go over, check that out, maybe follow along with some of the stuff that we're going to be going over tonight. And like I said, if you have a question or anything like that, don't hesitate. You go ahead and press number one. We'll get you in and up and on board with us tonight. And without any further ado, let's go grab our special guest, Mr. Hank Seaton. Hank, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine, Rico. How are you? We are well. We are well. Um we're seeing a little bit of stuff coming down the pike. I know we got a few people checking in, uh, new people checking in, checking out the show. We're always getting a couple of new people. And uh, also with a discussion going on on Facebook, uh, somebody kind of got themselves in a little bit of a conundrum, a little bit of a pickle uh, with a load, and uh, they were asking, you know, certain things about what they, what could they do about it. And unfortunately, uh, being – not not having enough information out there in this industry, uh, unfortunately, they were in a situation where they just went ahead and signed uh, the standard broker contract, and they really didn't have any much uh, much way as far as recourse or anything that they could really do uh, because they didn't have any clearly defined uh, things laid out as far as having a uh, service terms or conditions or, or anything like that. So I thought it would be a great time maybe for us to go back and maybe look and review some of the deadly dozens from your uh, the, the, how I came to know and find out about you, your great book that you had out there. And I understand that you got the other one coming, but the Protected Motor Carrier's Interest in Contract, um, that was how I very first, that's the very first time that I had ever heard of Hank Seaton, got a chance to read that book, and I got that book because I attended the uh, – National uh, Nastics uh, uh, New Interest Survival Program that they have. They also, they gave us the book as part of the uh, 
as part of our uh, coming to the uh, new entry survival training that they offer, and um, it was just a wealth of information that was that was in there. And I was thinking to myself as I was reading the book, man, how many people don't know the stuff that's 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 out here? Because I know I didn't know it. So I, I think it's a very timely discussion. Well, Rico, I think it is too. It's probably timely that we talk about it tonight. I have been promising the new book, and it is uh, 99% complete. Uh, it's uh, going from about 90 pages to over 300, uh, um, including in there uh, uh, just about every topic that a small carrier needs to deal with, including uh, – cargo claims and collections, and a whole bunch of, of additional uh, is, issues, including the URS and things that uh, hopefully will be uh, readable and a good research tool. Uh, the Dirty Dozen, un, unfortunately, was uh, uh, written now 14 years ago, and uh, as you might expect, uh, I don't know what you call 16, but we've now got We've now got 16 issues that uh, frequently appear in shipper contracts that uh, we can uh, try to deal with tonight. And uh, if you want me just to launch into it, I will. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, like I said, I had the um, – and maybe I'll tee them up for you a little bit as well. Okay, um, that'll be great. But I had, I had, I had your uh, PDF up that I, I, I uh, got copied from your website. And uh, just stuck it up there for people to have a, a version that they could maybe follow along with at home as well. And um, first of all, maybe just explain explain uh, what a contract agreement is. Just just maybe just so that let's start off from the very oh, sure. elementary fund, sure. uh, part of it. Uh, the uh, most of the people on the phone have probably uh, gotten into the business in the past fifteen years, but traditionally. Uh, the carriers set the service terms and conditions under which they would provide service, and they came up with their SOP or standard operating procedures, and that's what the, the shipper agreed to. It was incorporated into the bill of lading, and uh, uh, in those days the carriers could uh, uh, define how they would provide service. As a result of the unfortunate filed rate doctrine dispute in the 80s, shippers uh, seized the bull by the horns and said, we're going to basically do away with the carrier's rights to dictate their own terms and conditions. Uh, that uh, change of attitude worked very well for the shippers in the truckload market. It didn't have a whole lot of difference in the LTL market where the big LTL carriers sell, still set their own terms and conditions by tariffs. But uh, for virtually the past 20 years, uh, shippers have said, if you want to do business with us, or brokers have said, if you want to do with us business with us, you're going to have to sign this signed written agreement. And one of the things that signed written agreement has in it is what's called a waiver clause. It says that you, the carrier, waive any rights and remedies you have under general principles of federal transportation law, uh, and you'll see the words uh, 49 U or, uh, USC 14101B. Just remember 14101B when you see it in the contract. Look at what they're saying. They're saying that you don't have 
uh, any of the bill of lading uh, rights, terms and co conditions, collection rights, uh, basis for uh, 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 your insurance to uh, a judge salvage on contracts. There, there are about 61 important things that you waive when you sign an absolute waiver. And uh, so uh, the first thing is if you see that, don't waive your rights under general transportation law. Provide only that a limited waiver that uh, you'll agree to what's in the contract, otherwise you're reserving your rights. If you do that, then we get into what are the remaining 14 or 15 things that are in the typical contract that uh, can cause you real angst. And I'm going to jump out of order a bit because hopefully we'll get some discussion going and uh, I'll deal with the ones that I think cause the most problems for small carriers. I think one that causes the most problem is what I would call a unilateral right of set-off or offset. A set-off or an offset means that basically Mr. Shipper or Mr. Broker is going to decide if you owe him money on a cargo claim or for any reason he doesn't think you provided the right kind of service, and then he's going to be judge and jury of the claim and offset it against your freight charges. Uh, the most obvious uh, 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 culprits of this are certain large brokers who've never met a cargo claim they wouldn't pay and then try to offset against the carrier. The problem for a small carrier is you're counting on that receivable and you can't very well take a, a situation in which uh, all of a sudden you don't get twenty, thirty, or forty thousand dollars and are faced with having uh, to sue the shipper to get it back. So uh, you know, at any point, if your uh, system lights up with people that have got question about offsets or set-offs, uh, uh, we can certainly share some war stories with that. I think it's probably uh, either the first or second uh, largest uh, provision in a contract that uh, is, uh, causes problems. I would say that the way to deal with that is if you see a contract that mentions offset, scratch it out. You need to make very clear that it, you need to be paid your freight charges if they're cargo claims uh, or other problems uh, uh, that the shipper or broker has. We'll set up a procedure to deal with those that will involve your insurance company and protect your right to, uh, uh, to salvage and mitigation of damages. But you just simply can't allow a right of offset. Uh, now, I think that the... Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt your flow. Okay. Well, I was just going on to the next issue if there weren't any questions about that. Uh, the, the right of offset is becoming particularly lethal uh, because of one of the uh, uh, more recent uh, inventions, and that is uh, particularly with perishable foodstuffs or food items, there has become this hysteria that if a seal is broken, the load may be contaminated, and all of a sudden you bought a full load of flour or canned beans or pickles uh, or whatever it is, notwithstanding any evidence of internal contamination. In that regard, we are soon going to have something called the Food Safety Modernization Act in effect, and it's an FDA rule 
that basically says that if there's evidence that a load could be contaminated, it has to be uh, examined by a certified inspector before it's placed into uh, the food chain. Uh, this plus uh, the uh, attitude of the wholesale grocery houses to say, hey, if the seal isn't intact, you just bought the whole load, uh, creates uh, particular problems in that segment of the market. Uh, it's something that uh, uh, some of us are trying to deal with to uh, push back on uh, uh, shippers who say they have no duty to salvage the load and no duty to mitigate the load, and that particularly if you see in the contract language it says the shipper in its sole discretion uh, may dispose of salvage. Uh, you know that, uh, uh, you know, uh, a damage back to skids may uh, get you faced with a whole truckload uh, full of misery. One of the exacerbating problems about this is if you can find insurance that covers the source of the loss, chances are that insurance policy is going to say that the insurer has the right of inspection and salvage. No insurer is just going to hand you $40,000 because some broker offset it against you and said there was a claim. So <laughs> there's a good chance Someone. that if you agree to Go ahead, Rico. Uh, well, I was just going to say, someone just sent me a question to ask you. They 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 are not able to come on. Uh, they have a situation where, uh, and I kind of feel for this person, but they they uh, truck broke down um, about five miles after they got loaded with the load. It's a, a, a refrigerated load, negative ten load, and uh, they didn't. Um, uh, they tried to see if the uh, where they got loaded would take the load back, and of course they told them, you know, once you sign for it, uh, you know, it's, it's your load. Well, they, the load's supposed to be in Pennsylvania. Um, they're in Atlanta, and they want to know what can they do because that truck's going to be down for a little while. It's a transmission that went out on the truck. Um, any advice for a situation like that? But they've got the load at minus 10, and it's there's no contamination of the load in, in progress? No, there's no contamination or nothing like that with the load right now. The, the tractor is his problem. <laughs> the one one guy, one truck owner, he was just wanting to try to figure out where where, where he might be, uh, if he got a legal situation to where um, he might be facing a problem trying to get that load delivered if he's not able to get it delivered in a timely fashion or whatever. Well, uh, obviously he's got two problems. Number one, is he going to get stiffed for the freight charges if he delivers it late? And number two, uh, uh, the most important issue is probably that the load remains at minus 10 and, uh, gets, and gets delivered. Uh, if he can prevail upon the consignor to take it back, and he should, he's going to run into... A, a cargo claim because clearly the load will have to be replaced to the consignee and uh, you know you can expect that there will be a whole lot uh, more uh, issues involved than just trying to get the load delivered uh, if there is a way 
for him to uh uh since he has picked it up he's got the he's got the right to retain another carrier to provide the service uh, uh I don't know what his chances are, but I'd say it would be uh certainly worth trying to get someone else to uh uh take his reefer to Pennsylvania and boogie on up the road with it uh uh, as as quickly as possible. I don't know the nature of the goods. Obviously, if it's minus 10, it's it's frozen product. And if the temperature hasn't been allowed to, to get out of round, there's nothing wrong with its delivery and shouldn't be any special or consequential damages. I think he needs to, first of all, uh, call the cons, see what he can do about getting it up the road and call the consignee and try to set a new delivery appointment uh, because obviously doing nothing is his biggest problem. If it's a brokered load, uh, you know, I'm sure if it is a brokered load, depending upon who the broker is, you'd hope he'd work with him and and try to repower it. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, he's, uh, he needs to make the best of a bad situation for sure. Uh, and it's not doing any good sitting in the hot Georgia sun. You got that uh, right. Even, you got that even, right. Even to, the, even to the point, even to the point of of him getting a, uh, a, a a rental unit and going to deliver it. I don't know how long his load's going to be down, but you know, while his load's down, his driver's down. So he's he's losing money every which way. Uh, and get a substitute unit and get it up the road. That's what I do. Right, right. And I just want to remind everybody, we are here for you. You can, we got a bunch of people online. I guess we got a people uh, that, that love just listening to what we're talking about, but we really would like to take advantage of if you have any questions, any direct experiences or anything that you want to uh, to get out there and ask. Now's the perfect timing because, uh, you know, it, it's not often that you get an opportunity to talk to a, 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 an attorney for free of charge, and uh, you're not getting you're not getting the lunch counter. Uh, you know, I slept at a Holiday Inn, so I think I'm an attorney. Advice you get you getting actual real good advice, real sound legal advice. So it's a great opportunity for you to take advantage of that right here, right now. Um, so Hank, you can jump back into uh, we were on that dirty dozen. Uh, I forgot which one we were on, but uh, you can jump back in on that. Well, we were talking basically about the cargo. Uh, liability claim uh, uh, syndrome, which, uh, uh, you know, as I've explained, uh, you can't outrun your uh, cargo insurance in accepting uh, responsibility for reject it, crush it, and dump it. Another thing you'll see in contracts is a provision that says that you will accept special and consequential damages. Now, under basic hornbook uh, uh, law for cargo claims, your maximum liability is the destination market value of the goods without special or consequential damages. Things like special and consequential damages are you shut down the plant. Uh, We had uh, uh, the stuff was a wedding cake and it was going to a wedding and you missed the wedding. So What's involved is a whole lot more than the value of the cake. Uh, All kinds of unforeseen consequences. Uh, And when you see that in a uh, 
contract, you've got to exclude special and consequential damages with respect to cargo claims uh, because, again, you didn't buy insurance for that. You're not going to be covered. And uh, special and consequential damages are certainly unforeseeable. I've known of situations in which uh, brokers have said, well, you promised to deliver it. You didn't deliver it on time, and we couldn't uh, we couldn't get you on the phone. Uh, we lost a big account. We want you to pay us uh, seven figures for losing the account. You certainly don't want to sign anything that's got language in there that lets them sue you for more than the destination market value of the goods. Uh, in that regard, uh, one of the most important things that you can do is to limit your liability for cargo loss or damage to the amount of the insurance that you have. Uh, lots of times carriers will get snookered by seeing in a contract that you have to have a maximum of $100,000 in cargo and they'll say, oh, I got $100,000 in cargo insurance, not to worry. But unless the contract then goes on to say that your limit of liability is $100,000, unless otherwise agreed, uh, the fact that you just got $100,000 doesn't mean that the shipper can't say the load was worth a quarter of a million and look to you for the other $150,000. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before. So you really got to scrutinize the the, the the language, and, and that's something that I try to advise people on all the time. I, I tell them, you know, by us having the, as many conversations as we've had, is that don't don't think that just because you read something that you think that, okay, well, I read it, that sounds simple enough, that sounds common enough that I understand that because legal definitions and uh, contract language is totally different than just everyday layman's yeah. uh, uh Speaking terms. Well, yeah, and you know that's that is a uh, a carrier beware issue because a common man would think, well, gee, if they only need a hundred thousand dollars in insurance, that must means their loads are not worth more than that. But uh, that very frequently doesn't turn out to be the fact. Uh, what will happen is they may have said you need a hundred thousand dollars worth of insurance but the claim is for 300000 and their property insurer pays the claim and then sends a lawyer after you to get the spread. Uh, so you just have to remember, if you're looking at a contract, if you're signing a load confirmation sheet, uh, and I think the load confirmation sheet is an ideal time to get some of these, uh, these points across. Uh, if I were signing a load confirmation sheet or something came across my transom, I would certainly put freight charges due in 30 days without set-off, carrier's maximum liability is $100,000 for cargo loss, uh, general principles of federal transportation law apply, and if I got kickback on those three issues, uh, I'd probably tell them I didn't want them to hold, haul the load. So we can... Now someone we can asked me a, a question as well. Someone sent a question as well, saying that if you sign a rate confirmation and, and underneath your signature, is are you able to uh, circumvent some of the some of the language in the contract if you write on, up underneath your signature, all rights reserved? 
Well, I don't think all rights reserved necessarily does it. Part of the problem is uh, there is a provision in most of these contracts. It's one of the dirty dozen, and it's called an integration clause. And it will say in the contract that uh, the terms and conditions of this contract are, are, uh, are all that there is, that they contain all of the terms and conditions and cannot be modified unless uh, subject to a signed written agreement. And, you know, I understand the reason for that because Mr. Shipper doesn't want, uh, uh, you know, uh, your driver crossing out things on the bill of lading. They want to say the deal is the deal. But uh, that that's not to say that uh, you can sign. That it is to say you can't sign a bad contract and then try to put all rights reserved because the court's going to very quickly say, uh, listen, uh, uh, the written contract you signed said it governed all of the uh, loads you're going to handle for this dude, and it couldn't be modified. So that's just a little too cute. But I think it, I think it is fair to say, uh, particularly as the case law is developing with released rates, that you, uh, 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 first of all, need to go look in your, in your case full of contracts and decide if you got any of these dirty dozen problems. But otherwise, uh, be sure that you put the carrier on notice that general principles of transportation law, uh, payment without offset, and uh, and a maximum cargo liability apply. Uh, so I mean, it, you know, if I had to uh, if I had to boil the dirty dozen down to three, uh, I'd say they're probably the uh, the most important. Uh, the other thing that is uh, becoming a real issue is the way intermediaries are treating their role. Uh, I have seen a right. number of cases right. which an intermediary will say to you that he wants to be indemnified and held harmless from any uh, uh, any claim arising out of the service that you provide. Well, now, that's pretty wide open. That makes him judge and jury of what is indemnification. That lets him pay a cargo claim and then come to you and say, well, it's not really an issue of whether you owe the cargo claim. Now you've got to indemnify me because I chose to pay it. So you need to look closely at indemnification language. Uh, it'll always be in the contract. It'll always be a long uh, sentence that if you were, uh, you know, like we used to have to do when you had to uh, uh, go out and split out the phrases and diagram the sentence. You can't diagram the son of a buck. But at some point in the middle of it, it will say arising out of your act or omission. Well, that's a whole hell of a lot broader than what you're legally liable. What you're legally liable for in a court of law is for your negligent or wanting act, and you're liable only to the extent that that act causes uh, uh, the, the shipper or broker harm. So that language is a whole lot broader than what you're legally liable for, and it's a whole lot broader than you can buy insurance. You know, one of the dirty dozen is an indemnification clause, and it can most often be... Uh, fairly easily modified, 
by crossing out the objectionable arising out of the act or omission and putting in to the extent caused by the negligent act or omission. The term negligent, and I don't want to get too too lawyer here, but I think we all know that somebody is negligent when they fail to do something that an individual exercising ordinary uh, skill and care would do. That means you goofed up and you should have known better. And, you know, legally, if you goof up and you should have known better, the courts are probably going to hold you liable for harming your fellow man. But if you didn't goof up and you uh, uh, weren't responsible for harming him, you shouldn't have to pay him. And so that's probably about as simple as I, as I can uh, make those, uh, those issues. But uh, indemnification clauses, uh, you know, are a real issue. Okay, now I, I thought that uh, a few years back I remember uh, hearing a lot on, especially like uh, different landline radio and stuff like that. They were talking about that there was supposed to have been a lot of states were a, a, a wave of states that were outlawing these indemnification uh, uh, policies and contracts. Uh, where do we stand on those? Or is yeah, that is that uh, still the standard? Or? Yeah, you're talking about what's called the anti-indemnity statutes, and they're now in uh, the vast majority of states. Well, what they say is that a shipper or broker cannot require you to hold them harmless from their own negligence. So, for example, uh, if uh, uh, a a shipper uh, causes the the accident, he, he's not supposed to be able to say you got indemnifying for his own fault. But these broad indemnification provisions can say that if a third party uh, causes him fault and it has anything causes him harm and has anything to do with your transportation, you've got to pick it up. So there's a gap here between the anti-indemnity statutes and what these broad indemnification things can set you up for. Uh, for example, uh, let's say that you agreed to uh, deliver a load uh, uh, by Tuesday morning, and let's say that uh, there was an act of God or a road closure or uh, the, 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 the constantly didn't load you on time. There are a whole bunch of, uh, of good uh acts of negligence or acts of God that would give you an excuse to a cargo claim. If you agree to indemnify him for your failure to deliver it on time, then all that goes out the window. You didn't deliver it on time. may not have been your fault, but uh, uh, at the same time, uh, it's not his fault, so the anti-indemnity statute doesn't prevent you. Now, as long as you're under cargo regimes, you've got a defense. But if you just said that you'll indemnify him for any breach of contract and uh, uh, or, or failure to make timely delivery, then all of the existing law is out the window, and he can say, <clears throat> "Oops, buddy, uh, you know you shut down a you shut down a GM plant, and we had a call in an airplane, and uh, you know that's all part of my indemnity, and I got a big slug of your money here, so I'm just going to hold it." You see how that. You see how that works, and unfortunately, 
there are uh, a number of people on my hip parade that seem to uh, seem to practice uh, in that fashion because uh, uh, it's kind of he who has the gold rules. And if they got your money and uh, they think they've been wronged, then uh, you'll play hell getting it. Which brings up one more, as you can see, hopefully, as we talk about these, one of the dirty dozen uh, are terrible 16 runs into the other. Uh, if somebody withholds your money, if you look closely at your contract, chances are it says you got to come to their home territory to litigate it. So even though, right. you know, they may, it may have been this load from Atlanta to Philadelphia, uh, you know, they may be in uh, uh, San Francisco, and the contract says <clears throat> that if you want your money, you got to go to San Francisco. Well, at that point, you might as well pound sand because by the time you go to San Francisco, hire a lawyer, and, and, and wait eight months, you'll probably be out of business. So you can see how this whole contracting scheme uh, uh, works to the disadvantage of, of the small carrier. Now, I think a lot of people are crossing their fingers and praying to God that this, uh, this thing does, these kinds of problems don't happen, and I readily profess that in my business, I only see the, the worst-case scenario and can go literally years without talking to friends and clients because all is good in their world. But uh, 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 there, there, there certainly is enough chatter. There is enough repeat business, and it is a crucial enough issue for small carriers that you really have to get serious about risk retention, about risk avoidance because, uh, you know, one, one incident can cause you real problems. A couple that's of things home, that have been... That's provision. That... Yeah, the Homer provision will say that, you know, if there's any dispute under the contract, it has to be <clears throat> resolved uh, basically in their home county. And, you know, if, you, uh, if, you've, got, if you've got four or five trucks, uh, uh, you can't be popping up to New York City or some of these... Uh, uh, out of the world places to litigate a case. Uh, I'm going to cover just a couple. Of, we only got a few minutes left. I'm going to co cover a couple that uh, uh, may not have uh, been on the original Dirty Dozen. One is called the coercion issue. Uh, in January, the FMCSA uh, passed new rules that said that uh, – uh, no party could coerce a driver to violate the hours of service or the speed limits or any of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations. As originally envisioned, uh, it was supposed to <clears throat> help address this issue where the shipper or the broker says, well, now a condition of haul is you've got to get this thing delivered by 9 a.m. sharp and then they hold you at the freight dock until you're out of hours and tell you that, well, I don't know what you're going to do, buddy. I guess you just got to drive straight through because you promised you'd deliver it. And that has, of course, led to, uh, uh, to drivers uh, driving while tired or driving fast through a school zone. And, it, you know, it's obviously a problem that needs to be addressed. But the way the rule came out, Unless the shipper or broker directly tells the driver to do it, 
they're not subject to the $16,000 penalty and all the fines, but the carrier is. So, you know, a lot hmm. of that comes rolling back on you that if the shipper tells you that, you know, you got to deliver it in a time certain and then you convey that to your driver, uh, God forbid that the driver is in a wreck and tells the cop, well, you know, I was late. My boss told me I had to be there at 8 o'clock because then all of that trips into uh, the liability for the accident and into potential penalties and fines against the carrier if the driver decides to file a, a coercion petition. So the take-home from this is, for God's sakes, don't put in a contract or let a shipper put into a contract that you are guaranteeing and warranting anything other than reasonable dispatch. And reasonable dispatch is an old term that uh, we've had in commerce law for years. It's in the bill of lading, and it says that the carrier is required to deliver with reasonable dispatch and not in time to make any particular, I think it says sailing or marking. But I think we all know that uh, that shippers have, have uh, uh, gone over over hand over heel to try to put that kind of burden on uh, uh, truckload carriers when even the expediters, even the, the FedEx and the UPS won't make those kinds of guarantees and will only give a, a portion of the freight charges back if they're late. So, you know, I think uh, the coercion provisions and their application uh, really have a cram down effect on carriers and need to be taken out. All right, and just want to remind everybody, too, that, uh, like I said, the link to the Dirty Dozen is up on there. And there's also, with the link that we provided on there, uh, Hank has uh, written contracts on there, sample written written contracts, so that you can figure out how to implement and get you a service standard uh, statement of service provided. He has a sample of that on there as well that you can maybe use to implement into your operation. Uh, so it's a blank fill in the fill in the fill in the blank type contract. Uh, you could just you might be able to use that to your benefit. Also, um, he has the language on there on this on this readout so that you can actually see and uh, when you see certain language in your contracts to maybe uh, you know make your antennas go up. And like Hank said, go back and take a look at stuff that you already got in your file cabinet to see what you already got out there. And when it comes time to, uh, if you get ready, if you see, if you notice that you're uh, dealing with a broker that you, you got and they got some really bad language in a contract that you've already signed, Hank, could they then, if they continue to do business with that particular broker, when it comes time for, could they maybe make an adjustment on the rate confirmation and put something in on the rate confirmation to help them uh, offset some of that stuff? Or how would you suggest they handle that situation? Uh, if they signed this uh, integration clause, they'll have, they'll have some difficulty unilaterally modifying it on a load confirmation sheet. Uh, really what they probably need to do is they probably need to send in a cancellation notice on the contract uh, and, uh, and start modifying it. Uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of carriers publishing their own service terms and conditions. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'm trying to do for small carriers is to take what otherwise is a 35-page 
service terms and conditions in use by some of my larger clients and boil it down to a couple of pages. Right. I think it's going to be increasingly important that small carriers uh, uh, get their own service terms and conditions, get themselves a website, and, uh, uh, you know, put on their load confirmation sheet subject to carrier service terms, see www.ricotrucking.com. That really can all be done fairly inexpensively and fairly effectively. I want to mention one other thing that is particularly concerning, and I get this, unfortunately, all the time, and it really has to do with accessorial charges and, and detention uh, and those kinds of issues. Uh, you'll, very in, you'll very infrequently see a contract that has a provision in it for detention or free time. Uh, and in the load confirmation sheet, most ordinarily won't affect it. I'm working with a, a client now who is uh, uh, going to come out with one of these uh, 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 internet marketplaces. And we've talked about the importance of uh, him putting in his contractual service terms uh, these kinds of things that will be a precondition for a shipper using the uh, uh, the booking service, uh, and we talked about how do you deal with a truck ordered and not used. We get the constant complaint that you accepted the load, you deadheaded the truck uh, uh, 200 miles to pick it up. They were closed in the morning. They said, oh, that load was canceled, and, you know, you're, you're just out here uh, with no recourse. You asked Mr. Broker for a truck ordered and not used. He said you didn't agree to it. I didn't agree to it, and he just stiffs you. Uh, you know, you need to get accessorial charges incorporated into your load confirmation sheet because that's one thing that is not in the contract. The contract doesn't usually have the rate because the rate's a spot market rate. And, you know, it just behooves you to, uh, when it comes to the rate, to say, look, here's my accessorial sheet. I'm going to attach it. Uh, to the load confirmation sheet, and if I'm going to haul it for 1250 bucks, it's going to be C accessorial sheet attached as Appendix B, because if you're not going to get, uh, uh, if you're going to get abused with the loss of, uh, of, of detention and truck order not used, you're going to get burned pretty badly sooner or later. Yes, sir. We got somebody that's got a question here. Hold on one second. Let's go grab them. Caller, you're on live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Is that me? Hello, caller. Yes, sir. That's you. Hey, how you I doing? Have, uh, okay. Uh, we have kind of set a, a policy in place for us, for our company, uh, and, and I was kind of wanting to see what you thought about it uh, but you've already answered part of it we have a published uh, conditions of service it has our all of our charges uh, truck ordered not used detention all this uh, that's published in that every time I sign a contract I include a copy of that with it 
And under the standard signature block for the contract, where instead of signing there, I put a stamp on that contract that says contract accepted per conditions of service, and it has the location of the website. Uh, okay. I'm I'm all about what you're doing. I think I think I think that's great. I think it's important to incorporate. <laughs> By reference, the uh, large regular route carriers will look at a shipper contract and uh, lightly dust over it, and then uh, they will, uh, somewhere towards the back, incorporate their service terms and conditions by reference and say that their service terms and conditions take precedent over anything else in the contract. And at that point, uh, Mr. Shipper goes merrily down the road, not realizing that their service terms and conditions may be a couple of hundred pages. I'm not advocating that. I'm just advocating that you basically get service terms and conditions that ensure that you're going to get paid for the service you haul, ensure that uh, your your cargo claims are going to be manageable and covered by your insurance. And the one thing we haven't covered is insured that if the broker cannot or will not pay you, that you've got recourse to his customer. That's one of the other issues in the Dirty Dozen that uh, we see repeatedly is that you will look only to the broker for payment. Uh, And, you know, uh, far too often the middleman will uh, use the money that comes in to pay your freight charges uh, to do uh, to make his truck payments, to take his wife to Hawaii, to do God knows whatever else, but will not have the money to pay you. We had a little feedback. Yeah, I think I apologize about yeah. that. Did you you finish up with him? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I don't know that he's still there, got any other questions. I got off on a bit of a tangent, but I do applaud him for what he's doing. I think that's good advice. So let me let me see if I can grab him back here. Let me put him back up. Uh, did you have any oh, other follow-up questions back. on that one? Can you hear him? Yeah, you, you sound like you're, yeah, you're, sound like you're a little bit far away. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, we got you. them on your website, 
and when you sign contracts, you uh, uh, use a, a preprinted stamp uh, or delivery receipt to prove that it's your shipment for uh, the load confirmation sheets for everything else. I've got clients in the Dre industry where uh, Draymen typically don't have to sign contracts. Uh, and, you know, they just put on all their correspondence below their signature the name of the company and says service provided pursuant to terms and conditions found at. And they put that on every on everything that, uh, uh, every piece of Internet that goes out. Because all too frequently, you're going to find that uh, your Internet chatter can come back to... Uh, uh, to hurt you. I've had uh, uh, shippers say, well, gee, uh, uh, you knew and accepted these special terms and conditions because here we've got an email that went between uh, the two parties that said, Charlie, you know this has to get there. This is a rush load. And then they say that, you know, that uh, that you, you agreed to meet those assorial charges. So the idea of incorporating your terms and saying they can't be modified uh, uh, unless in a signed written supplement, I think is important. Cool, cool. Well, Hank, we the hour just flew by. We've blown straight through that hour already. Uh, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. But uh, if anybody out there that's listening that may want to use your services or have need for your services or anything like that, uh, you want to tell the people how they can maybe reach out and get in contact with you and how you may be of service to them? Sure. Our, our, I guess the best, the easiest way to direct them is to go to transportationlaw.net. That's transportationlaw, one word, dot net. And uh, my contact information is there. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you have questions, uh, there will be an email address there, and it, it can get to me in a phone number. And, uh I'll be happy to help you, and hopefully by the time we do this next month, uh, uh, Rico, I'll be out from the, the 15th to the 26th, so we may need to reschedule it. But I think the book will be published, and hopefully I'll uh, have some folks that are interested in, uh, in in reading some more stuff. Cool things. Are you um, are you going to be set up to do any pre-orders or something like that? We might need to start getting that, getting getting the. Uh... Getting those yeah, up. yeah, I'll tell you, uh, Rico, you may want to uh, uh, back-channel communicate with my office because I think they're going to put it on transportationlaw.net for, for pre-orders. Talked about that today. Okay. Okay? Okay. Well, I, I, yes, sir, I'll shoot out shoot the email out tomorrow and see if we can get in contact with somebody. Maybe we can do a, do a little, little bit of a link or something so we can get that started for you, help you out on that. Okay, and and if you want me to do this next month, we might ought to do it the second the second Wednesday rather than the third. Sounds like a game plan to me. Well, Hank, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on, answer our questions, take some time to uh, help educate us small guys and, and, and put this on our P's and Q's so we don't kind of, you know, get ourselves in a conundrum where we end up getting ourselves put out of business before we get started in the business too far. Okay, my friend. That'll be great. Good night to everybody. All right, thank you. Thank you. Good night. And, and just a little bit of housekeeping before we get out of here. I uh, want to remind everybody, the Audio Road Network, we have every Tuesday night, Kenny Long does his show, Trucking with Authority. I want to check his show out every Tuesday at 7 p.m. 
And, of course, Wednesday nights you have myself every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And then you have the newcomer to the uh, Audio Road Network, Trucking 101, Rick and Melissa Grimm's podcast comes on every Saturday at 8 p.m. And, of course, rounding out the show, uh, Mike and Kevin Beckett every every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All shows are Eastern Standard Time, uh, 7 p.m. for Tuesdays, 7 p.m. for Wednesdays, 8 p.m. for Saturdays, and uh, 9 p.m. for Sundays. And, of course, um, you're already familiar with the uh, recording schedule for Kevin uh, Kevin Rutherford's show Monday through Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This has been the Rates and Lanes podcast. I am your gracious host, Rico Muhammad. And until next time, this same time next week, be safe out there, everybody, and we'll talk to you later. Good night. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.